and I had a phone call from Derbyshire Police who said that they'd just arrested a gang and they'd been through their mobile phones and found my details on their hit list. I just thought, you know what? I can't take any more of this. Welcome to the Bark and Jack podcast. I'm Adrian, and this is my first real episode of this uh, podcast. And to kind of set the scene of what this is going to be and how it fits into the rest of the content creation, because I've got the YouTube videos, I've got the website, and I have Instagram as well. But this podcast is, isn't going to really be focused on watches themselves. It's going to kind of be exploring the people within the watch world, whether it's collectors or watchmakers, um, and in this case, uh, a watch dealer or ex-watch dealer. Whereas the videos on, on YouTube, YouTube, they're, they're more around the watches themselves and then I guess Instagram is kind of a it's, it's more of a personal thing it's that's kind of like my what's going on in my life you then have the website barkandjack.com which I guess is the most professional uh, kind of outlet within the Bark and Jack thing that's going on um, so the podcast it, it's going to be very loose it's going to be very chilled it's it, it's literally just a chat with people and sometimes video isn't necessary sometimes it's not necessary to set up a camera and some someone's face to record an interaction um, there's there's something quite nice and intimate in a different way when you talk on podcasts and I guess people feel a bit more relaxed and they might let their guard down hopefully so today we are going to be catching up with a chap called Paul Thorpe he's an ex-watch dealer he's recently retired but the interesting thing about Paul is that he used to be on YouTube around three four years ago and he kind of took YouTube by storm with his very uh, very candid, uh, very honest videos around uh, certain situations within the watch world. Uh, and then he suddenly disappeared and he's making a comeback and, and quite quite a hard comeback as well. Before we get into talking to Paul, I quickly want to tell you about the NATO straps that I sell over at BarkandJack.shop. And you can go there whilst you're still listening to the podcast. Over at BarkandJack.shop, we have a whole host of NATO straps uh, ranging from 18 millimeters to 22 millimeters wide. And uh, we ship them worldwide. So do go check those out. Let's now go catch up with Paul. People are obviously going to know a bit about you because you did have an impact. Although your time on YouTube was was fairly short, you, you did make um, an impact on the community. But uh, could you just introduce who, who Paul is? Yeah, my name's Paul Thorpe, obviously. Um, I've been a watch dealer for now retired. I, I hasten to add, I've uh, been a watch dealer in and out of the industry. Um, I mean, I sold my first watch in 1975 when I was about 14 years old. Um, my mum and dad were very much into watches and retail, and my dad in particular, God bless them both. Um, so it started there. Um, as I say, I've been in and around the industry all my life. Watches has played a major, major role in my life. And, um, you know, even to this day, sort of having now retired from actual retail, I still love every minute of it. And uh, and what are you wearing right now? At the moment, I'm wearing a Tudor Black Bay Dark as I speak to you. Is that the um, the first generation? It's the second gen. Um, I like the watch. It's a watch that I use as my, I, I hesitate to use the phrase everyday beater, um, because I don't beat any of my watches. But it's a watch <laughs> that I wear, yeah, I mean, if I'm going to pick the grandkids up from school, or if I'm, you know, out and about nine times out of ten, that's the watch that I'll be wearing. I, I just really like it. Yeah, no, I, I think a brilliant watch is. Um, I'm a massive Tudor fan, and you, you're you're quite a Rolex guy as well, aren't you? From from memory. Yeah, big on Rolex. I mean, I'm not always. <sighs> it's a great question, mate. I mean, the brand as such. Um, 
is a little bit questionable in my mind, at least sometimes when I think about some of their policies, which we'll probably <laughs> do later. Um, but you know, listen from a from a business perspective, and that's one thing that I want everyone that's maybe listening to this to understand is that I'm not your average enthusiast. I'm not a collector. I'm a businessman. I'm a watch dealer. That is my in my DNA. That is in my bones. So everything I look at within the watch world is really from a financial um, point of view. So some people might not quite get my angle because if they're collectors and enthusiasts listening to this, they're going to think, well, why does he think that? Or why does he think this? It's because I'm always thinking about it from uh, from my mind rather than from my heart, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. And that, that kind of comes across in your, your videos as well when you, um, I, I saw one of your recent videos about you contacting Rolex and ADs and yeah. how you, you do talk about it from a business perspective, um, yeah, yeah. kind of the, the dealer perspective as opposed to kind of the, the buyer's perspective. Um, but let, 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 let me explain that uh, why I kind of know a bit about you is, is that you're on YouTube about two or three years ago um, mm. and then suddenly disappeared. How, how long were you on YouTube for? Do you know, it wasn't long. It was about six or eight months. I think. Is that Something it? Like that. Yeah, that wow. was it. Six months, maybe. It wasn't very long at all. And the... Uh, you know, I gave up for various reasons. I think, well, if, if, if we've got the time, I'm happy to go through them, you know, but... Um, yeah, we, we, first... we, we got the time, but, um, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 with that short a span, I kind of feel like you, you made quite a big dent on the community because when you left, um, loads of people making videos about um, why you left and kind of announcing the yeah. news of you going. Uh, yeah, I think the pressure got to me a little bit in respect that I hadn't really dealt with any kind of social media before um i hadn't really realized the response that it would bring um i go back to you know our chat sort of before we kind of went on air if you like about um being sometimes a little bit sensitive about what people say and i wasn't ready for the haters and some people you know i, I think they're trolls they call them yeah um, i probably wasn't ready for that and um I was making an effort to answer every single email and question that came through to me. And I can tell you, Adrian, at one stage, I was spending my entire day clearing my inbox, yeah. going to bed. And because I had a, such a large following um, in North America, I was getting up in the morning and that empty inbox had filled right up again. And I'm like, this is becoming a full-time job. I mean, bearing in mind that I was actually still heavily active as a dealer i was yeah. supposed to be selling watches and it all got on top of me um and the the, the final straw the final straw i was in uh, central london i'd been to hatton garden um and i'd been to bond street and i had a phone call from derbyshire police who said that they'd just arrested a, a, a gang um from eastern europe in uh, derbyshire and they'd been through their mobile phones and found my details on their hit list if you like Bloody hell. um and i just thought you know what i can't take any more of this you know it's affecting my life it's affecting my family's life we'd already been through so much um and i just thought you know maybe this just isn't worth the you know it's not worth the while um it's actually costing me money because i was losing sales because i was um you know, spending so much time on YouTube. And then you've got people on YouTube saying, hey, this guy's only doing this to make more money. In actual fact, it was the opposite. I was losing money. Um, <laughs> so that that was that was the reason that I actually decided to give YouTube up. Yeah. Then never thought I'd come back. But uh, I think I've just, now I've retired 
my mind seems to have cleared a lot. Um, I no longer feel in danger of the robbery side of things because if I'm not dealing, then I haven't got any watches where there's nothing to steal. So I feel kind of like the shackles are off. Understand, understand. Um, I, I, as you said that, I, I, I did suddenly remember um, you mentioning about uh, you finding about the police uh, having your details and everything. So that, that must have been pretty damn scary. And, and the whole... Uh, I, I get that pressure around um, the emails. Uh, I... I I too feel a massive responsibility to kind of answer as many emails as possible. And I do try to answer all the emails, but sometimes it is just um, and all, all, all the comments and stuff. It's it's it builds up. It's crazy. And I've I've had people ranting at me, um, calling me. There was one guy who um, uh, obviously won't mention him, but it, he basically wanted me to do a video about his house so that he could sell his house because he's struggling struggling to sell his house in London. Right. <laughs> then he, then he yeah. sent about a day later he sent another email saying. You're really rude. What? Why didn't you respond to to the people who contacted you? So you, you, yeah. you want me to yeah. sell your house? You're not a customer. You're not a subscriber. You, you you've yeah. given me a very weak uh, kind of business opportunity, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm not interested. And, and he just went off on one. It was, it was so bizarre. It's strange. I mean, I think you know. Again, you know, my philosophy has always been to try and be decent to everyone. Um, so I've made it clear right from the start as in as many videos as I possibly can is that I'm not going to reply to any comments at all, not any of them. I will read as many as I physically possibly can. Um, the ones that really take my eye and have, uh, I think will make an interesting topic for the questions and answers session, I'm going to cut and paste them into a, a sheet and then I'll, I'll answer that question in a forthcoming video. And I think that's the best way. Yeah, I agree. And I've, I've, I've kind of taken the same tactic. I, I tend to read and reply to the first like hour. When I post a video, I'll, like, I'll spend um, about an hour just uh, doing odd admin bin bits and then uh, yeah. reply to comments. And then after that, it, it just builds up and it, it does add to, to all the stress. Yeah. Um, in a, in yeah, a recent yeah. video, you, you mentioned um, how you, a recent one, I, th I think it might have been um, an older video, because you, you're putting up the old videos as well. Um, That's right. You're, yeah. you're blasting them out like anything. Um, but you mentioned that you had quite a few jobs um, and kind of uh, watches had been the thing that you kept going back to watches. And what it is, I think, like most kids, Adrian, is that when you're younger and your family is trying to push you into a career, you tend to rebel. Right. Um, and when I left school, the last thing I really wanted to do, although I loved watches and I would never go out without wearing a nice watch, and they were a passion of mine, but the rebellion in me or the rebellious side of me was sort of saying to my parents, I don't want to be in this industry. I want to do my own thing. You know, like I'm 16 years old. I'm a teenager. All I wanted to do was like meet girls, ride my moped and go out and have fun with my friends. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was to be stuck in a shop all day. You know, I wanted to see the world. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, so I drifted in and out uh, at certain times of my life, did other things. There were things I wanted to do. I wanted to travel. Uh, I wanted to meet people. Um, and I just wanted to get a lot of life experiences, which my life has been one massive long story and journey. It's, it's been crazy, to be fair, and the watches have always been a part of it. And when did you kind of become a, because obviously you settled down as a watch dealer. So when did you kind of decide that that was going to be it? <laughs> Um, I suppose it was a natural progression, really. I mean, over the years, I just sort of like more, I've always been 
buying and selling a little bit here and there, you know, I've always, I suppose you could even, you know, God forbid, use the term a watch flipper back in the sort of like the eighties, you know, and stuff like that. Um, But I suppose professionally, I think I made the decision when I met my wife in 1990, um, we're still together. um, And when I, yeah, thank you. We, uh, I, I met my wife, and as soon as I met her, I thought, this is a girl that I want to marry. This is time to settle down uh, and, and really knuckle down uh, and start to do the things that uh, I need to be doing to earn a serious living. So I think really 1990 was when I would have classed myself as settling down into the job and, um, you know, cracking on with it, as it were. Awesome. So uh, that kind of segues beautifully into, uh, you, well, it kind of ties into videos that you've been putting out as well. The whole like Rolex shortage stuff. So we mentioned that you, uh, it's good for business to kind of be involved in Rolex because it's it's what people want. It's uh, yeah. they're, they're easy watches to sell. Um, yeah. Have have has this shortage always been a thing, and it's just become really bad now, or was there? Can you remember a time when it, it was easy to pick up a Submariner or a G? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, back in years gone by, if you wanted a Submariner, all you needed to do was nip down to your local AD and they'd almost certainly have one in stock. You know, obviously the Daytonas have always been on, you know, a bit short. Um, but in general, there's there's not really been many models that you couldn't get. And if you couldn't get them in the UK, you could certainly get them abroad. Um, and that, that stands up until very very recently i mean only sort of 18 months two years ago most of the watches that you couldn't get in the uk or in europe if you jumped on a plane and went to dubai you'd usually find a retailer Siddiqui obviously comes to mind that would have that watch in stock somewhere or another um and you know the you know hulks for example you know they, they were coming out of dubai left right and center only a couple <laughs> of years ago but no more it's even dried up in places like that so yeah th- this is a, a relatively across the board i would say it's a, a bit of a new phenomenon really and do, do you think it's um come from your experience do you think it's rolex is doing or do you think it's the they've just massively increased in popularity or maybe it's the flipper side of things because some people post on instagram like some yeah. some dealers post on instagram um drawers full of or, or arms full of hulks yeah. and 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 yeah. batmans and things yeah do you think well, that's where they're gone well yeah to a degree but i mean what they, i mean that's actually very easy to do for a watch dealer um i mean for example i haven't got one billionaire to my name i don't have one but if i wanted 20 i could have them in a week it's as simple as that wow you've you just well, you just got to have the money. They're out there. You just need the money. You know, money talks in in this business like no other business. And if you want those watches, if you want to take those pictures for Instagram, you can get them. You've just got to be prepared to pay the money. It's as simple as that. If, look, if you know yourself, Adrian, if you want a Daytona this afternoon, you can get one. It just depends on how much you're prepared to pay for it. Sure. Yeah. 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 So the watches are out there. Um, I wouldn't say that these dealers are holding them. I think they're far too astute to hold any amount of um, Rolex watches to some degree. I mean, there are certain models that you could hold quite safely, but I, th- I think that they're all too astute in general. In answer to the original question, which is a brilliant one, mate, I mean, it's like it's a combination of all those things. Rolex are watch manufacturers. They are not um, retailers, and they always make that very clear. They have no, or they say their official policy really is that they have no, they say they have no say as such in the the retail side of the business, but of course they do. Of course they do. But it's the authorised dealers that, um, the individual authorised dealers that make a lot of the decisions that is the cause, in my opinion, 
of a lot of this supply problem. And it's, it's like the whole thing around... Um... It's not just the supply, it's the whole interaction stuff, which is, is really, it's a hard one to swallow when, when, when people are holding um, the warranty cards and they're taking the stickers off. It's, it's a weird one. Uh, honestly, mate, honestly, I just cannot get my head around that. You know, when that first started to happen and people were telling me, I, I actually didn't believe them. I said, well, that's oh, it. I, I mentioned it on YouTube, and then and people are saying, "Oh, Adrian, you're full of shit." It's like, well, <laughs> one, why would I make that up? Yeah. And two, yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's, it's it's happening. It's. I mean, honestly, mate, I think it's you know, from a customer service point of view, it is appalling because what they're actually doing is they're saying, "Listen, here, we are going to devalue your asset before you even walk out of our store." Thank you very much for your thirty-eight and a half percent profit that you've just paid us, um, and uh, we're just going to. Is that what they make? Thirty-eight and a half percent. Um. I'll just say that's my opinion. Right. <laughs> sure. In my opinion, it's 38.5%. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, thank you for your 38.5%. Um, but we're just going to make sure that we devalue your asset before you walk out the door because, God forbid, you make a profit on that. Now, hold on a minute. What happens if someone – I had a lot of aspirational people in my place, in my shop, that would say, Paul, I've saved for, like, five years to buy this watch. Um, you know, I, I, this is this is a dream for me, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, six months later, they'd reappear in the shop and they say to me, I can't keep this. I need to do this. I need to pay a bill. I need yeah. to pay the council tax. I need to send, you know, whatever. That asset has been devalued by Rolex. And I just think that's appalling. It's yours. You've paid for it. Yeah. You know, and, and that card is yours. And to make it even worse, this is not a directive from Rolex in Geneva, this is a club, a club together. Um, the, what's the right word? It's a cartel of UK dealers that are, are saying, "Let's not give these people their warranty cards, and let's make damn sure we take their stickers off." And and the, the, what makes it even harder to swallow is the fact that I'm sure when those uh, flippers and, and dealers are going in and, and buying the Batman's <clears throat> and Hulks, that they're yeah. probably given the cards and the stickers left on well this is this is i mean another again another a great conversation and one you know i think i personally would like to be a little bit careful about what i say i'm stressed that this is my opinion sure. you know nothing that i'm stating here is fact this is just my opinion as i'm going to call myself a watch journalist in the public interest <laughs> um i i believe that a lot of those watches are finding their ways so let's get down to the nitty-gritty what is a preferred client you know, is it someone that's spending £150,000 a year in that store? Or is it someone that's prepared to give someone a £5,000 drink on that Rolex Daytona? Right. Now, at the end of the day, business is business. Money talks. And I want to make this clear that I think 99%, 95%, of UK authorised Rolex dealers are straight down the line. You know, but there are some, without a doubt. And, and I know this from previous experiences. I would never, ever, ever name any names or give anyone up, but I know for a 100% fact, mate, that some dealers have supplied grey dealers knowing they're grey dealers because I've had the watches myself. Yeah. You know, when I keep getting the same, when I keep getting watches from the same dealer, one after the, you know, you're getting a Submariner and you get a, a GMT, then you get a Daytona and then you get something. And they're all from the same authorised dealer. That's crazy. So something is going on, isn't it? And is, is it, are they packaged with 
Um, is it a matter of uh, the, the AD yeah. will sell a, a Daytona yeah. along with two two-tone date justs or something? Something that's hard to uh, push. No, no, not necessarily. I mean, times have changed. Don't forget, I've now been retired for you know, basically. I've been properly retired now for about a year. And even in that short time, things have changed massively. So some of my information could be, or my experiences at least, let alone information, could be out of date, even though it's only a year. Yeah. Um, but I would have roaming reps come into my store on a regular occasion once a week. And I was probably quite lucky, Adrian, because I had a reputation within the trade as being a payer. Um, and believe me, if there's any aspiring watch dealers out there listening to this, the biggest tip I can give you in the world is pay on time. If you pay on time, you will get the chance to buy the best that's going because people love a payer. Yeah. So when the dealers used to come to me, if they, they knew if they was coming to see Paul, if they sold five watches to me, they get paid there and then on the spot. And they love that. It wasn't like, well, can you leave them with me and I'll pay you next week. Yeah, deal done. You just get, get deal on done. This one. Yeah. yeah, they're going home with their pounds or euros in their pocket. Now, that, that philosophy served me really, really nicely for a very long time. And I would have roaming dealers coming in from all over Europe, um, particularly from Italy, particularly from Greece, um, on the odd occasion from Portugal, um, countries where the economies weren't quite as strong as they should be. Well, so sorry, but people were traveling across the border with with watches yeah. in their bags. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. These are obviously, obviously EU. Um, yeah. So in, I, I would never deal with anyone outside of the EU because of obviously the legal implications. Oh, of course, all the tax and everything, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, listen, there's, there's, again, a little tip. Don't want to be boring, but do not get involved in buying um, watches from non-EU countries um, where you're avoiding the VAT because that is a prison sentence without a question. Wow. Um, so... Yeah, these dealers were coming into me from across Europe. Um, were they representatives from authorised dealers? I don't know. Were they friends of authorised dealers? I don't know. I don't ask them. I don't really care. All I cared was is that they were supplying me with good stock with a big discount depending on the watches. Um, I was getting the watches cheaper. My customers were getting the watches cheaper. Um, still and, still uh, sports watches from Rolex. You're getting them at, at a discount, you think? Absolutely. Wow. That's crazy. Absolutely. Not not big discounts. You know, let, I need to be clear on that. I mean, I suppose the what, the discount that really stands out in my mind um, back in, say, to just say 2013, right, for example, I would get like 20% off um, a double one, double six, one, three LN. Right. Um, or an LB. So I'm getting a uh, still and gold Submariner yep. with 20% off. Bloody hell. Now, that's unheard of today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We get laughed at. <laughs> absolutely. Having said that, how much was I spending? Well, it wasn't unusual for me to spend, you know, £100,000 in one sort of 45-minute session with a, a, a rep from whatever, wherever he come from. Because whilst that sounds a lot of money, when you put it into actually new Rolex watches, it's, it's not that much stock. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, so it's, I, I don't want that to sound flamboyant because it's actually not. Watch dealers all have the same philosophy that money's actually not really much use to them. They would rather have the watches. Right. Um, and I would often have – I would often look at my bank account and think, Jesus, look at the state of this, you know. But I, I've got, like, 200 Rolex in stock. 
Yeah. Now that's better than having the money in the bank. Sure, it's got profit on it. Yeah, the money in the bank's going nowhere, but yeah. the Rolex watches are only going up. That's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But that's the way it was. You know, and we, we would buy... I mean, there wasn't anything, apart from the Daytonas, at that time, apart from the Daytona, um, there wasn't anything that was um, off the list, as it were. I remember one dealer walking into my shop offering me two billionaires. Um, if I bought them both, he would give me 10% off. Bloody hell. Um, and, um, you know, it's, so that's the way it was. So where was the where were these watches coming from and how did that happen? Well, again, I'm surmising now, I'm taking an educated guess, is that the countries that these dealers were coming from had economical problems. Look, uh, I went to Greece in 2014, I think, and the economy at that time, it, it wasn't good. Right. I don't know what it's like now. I know they had a bailout, didn't they, a few they did, years yeah. ago? Um, and I've got friends in Greece in the watch business and I went to Greece to, to see them and it was a mess. How the authorised dealers were managed to sustain their livelihoods is a mystery because people weren't spending the money, the watches weren't selling, but there's some Rolex in Geneva are still putting them under this pressure that you lose your authorised dealer status. Some way or another, they've got to sell those watches. And the grey market is the saver of some authorised dealerships. I mean, I had a conversation with a, a, the managing director of a, a um, actually, I'm not sure that's the right term, like the CEO, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. um, of, a, of, a, of a major blue chip Swiss watch brand. And privately, they admit that they need the grey market. To keep so, things churning over. To keep things churning over. You know, I mean, there are certain flagship stores in certain cities in the UK that I can tell you I'm not talking about Rolex now. I'm talking about another brand. And I won't mm-hmm. mention them because I don't think it would be fair on the brand or the people that work there. But there is another major watch brand in the UK that has flagship stores that lose money every single week. But they have to be there. They have to be there. They have to keep their presence. Mm-hmm. They have to keep their central London presence. Um, and, you know, so when someone walks in off the street and they want to buy a watch, they're ripe for a discount because they need to sell. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I've, I've I've heard similar things about um, uh, about Omega that 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 they're quite easy to um, negotiate discounts on. And what I found out well, was um, when you go to airports and uh, I think it's Terminal Five at Heathrow, there's there's quite a big watch presence there. You can't get yeah, anything off um, Rolex because Rolex dictate what the prices are. Yeah. But then pretty much every other brand you can get twenty percent off, despite the fact you're not going out of the EU. You're still within the the, the tax band. Um, and and they'll do a discount because they they just want to push out these watches. Well, the you know some of this stuff I hesitate to say because ultimately you know I respect all the watch houses, all the watch brands, or most of them at least. And as I said, you know sometimes you're talking about people's livelihoods and jobs, and I don't want to ever be a part of making life difficult for people. But some of those watch brands like Amiga, I mean, I, I wouldn't buy a brand new Amiga personally when I was dealing unless I was getting forty off. Wow. <laughs> You know, so, uh, you know, 40 off, if, if people if people offered me brand new Amigas and I would say, what's the discount? And they'd say 35% and I'd say, no, it's not enough. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> because I, I wanted to sell, I wanted to sell at like 15, 20% off. Right. You know, um, and bearing in mind, 
I've never really been known as an, as an Amiga man. I think Amiga buyers are very different animals to, to Rolex buyers. In fact, I know they are from experience. They're completely different buyers um, in many respects. And I've never been a big Amiga stockist. But if I wanted 40 off, you know, I had to spend, you know, 150,000 quid to get it. Sure, right. Uh, okay. So it, it's leaving me with a lot of stock. Yeah. Um, but then once you've built up your relationships with these suppliers, you could potentially make a call and say, listen, I need a Speedmaster, I need a Seamaster. And, and and in all fairness, I'd expect the same discount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, I guess you have become um, a, a VIP client in a way. Cause you're, yeah, you have. You're, you're you have. dropping that kind of cash. Yeah, you're dropping that kind of cash. You're paying. So first of all, you're dropping large amounts of money. Secondly, you're paying on time. Um, and thirdly, you're giving them an outlet for stock that they actually don't really want. I mean, what they're doing is they're buying a vast amount of stock. Let's just say it's on the first of every month that they get their new stock delivered from Watch Brand X. And Watch Brand X demands in their terms and conditions that every month you take X amount of watches. Yeah. They don't want them, mate. They haven't sold last month's but they don't want to lose their authorised dealership. So the best way to get rid of those watches is to pass them through the back door into the grey market. Even if they're making a loss on some of them, it makes financial sense at the end of the year. Of course, because it brings in uh, the clients. If, if, they've, exactly, if, if they have exactly. the Rolex name there, it doesn't matter if people are buying the Rolex, people are still coming exactly. home. Yeah. And don't forget, Adrian, don't forget that the vast majority of these dealerships that we're talking about um, – it's not one brand that they're dealing with. They might have five, six, seven blue chip brands in store. Yeah. And they need them all. You know, it's no good losing Amiga and Vacheron and, and Hublot and then, but keeping Piaget, you know, you, you need, you need all of the brands. Have the offering. Yeah. That makes sense. You need all the brands. Yeah, absolutely. You need all the brands. And, you know, it's, it's been, it's been interesting and it's like, it's, it's amazing to see what goes on in the background. Um, I would say that everyone needs to accept because before, you know, you're probably going to get a lot of comments saying how much, what's the discount? How much are they making from me? Look, hold on a minute, guys, right? You are dealing with companies that have machinery, um, that is beyond my realms of understanding. I mean, how Rolex produce the the bracelets and the cases that they produce and how Amiga produce their dolls. How much do you think that machinery costs? Yeah. Yeah. How much how much do you think how much do you think that HQ in Geneva costs to, to keep open and the so it's not profit. It might be a base profit margin on the watch itself, but it all goes back into um, production, to uh, research, to employment, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. the real gross figure if you like is a lot lot lower well that's it yeah. it's, it's, it's all the difference between gross and net profit so it's it's uh it can be a bit blinding um kind of focusing on, on those figures um, yeah, of you, course. You, you mentioned that um you, you've been in a watch uh, you've been interested in watches since um the the mid 70s yeah. I've, I've heard i might have just read on forums that in the 80s um the date just was the kind of watch that people had and that people fixated about do you have any experience of that? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and I've right. just actually made a video about that. It's oh, like yeah. in this. Well, I tell you what. I mean, I was uh, alive and well and kicking in the eighties, and it was, it was, it, that was like the early nineteen eighties is when I bought my first property, and I remember I paid forty three thousand pound for my first house, Bloody and yeah. I sold it six months later for eighty seven and a half. Wow, this was the period. This was the Margaret Thatcher period where. 
um, what she did was people were buying their own council properties and, and, and it was the yuppie years. You know, everyone was doing well. Money was easy to borrow. Um, you could walk into your bank and this is, I'll never forget this. You know, you, you walked into your bank back in those days and you say, you say to your bank manager, because you'd meet with your bank manager back in those in those days, and you'd say, I need a mortgage. And he'd say, how much do you want to borrow? And you'd say, 50,000. And he'd say, what are you earning? And you'd say, oh, I don't know, 300 pound a week or whatever. And he'd say, sorry, was that 400 pound a week? And you say, no, 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 free. And he'd go, no, no, well, but what, you must have some overtime, a little bit of overtime, a bit of bonus. <laughs> and, you know, he would help you get that mortgage. Right. You know, where today, that's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he would help you get that mortgage. And what the 80s saw was a lot of people, good, honest, working class people, were able to borrow money or, I mean, some people got into trouble. There's a flip side to all, all these stories. But a lot of my friends that I went to school with that probably never had a hope of um, owning their own property were allowed to borrow the money to enable them to get onto the property ladder. Now, that released a lot of endorphins in people's minds in the UK in the 1980s. Now, there was um, obviously a lot of people in the 1980s under Margaret Thatcher were very unhappy. Um, but certainly where I lived in the in the areas that I would, in the circles that I was mixing in, people were doing well. They were buying property. They were borrowing money. They were aspiring to better things, better clothes, better watches, and better jewellery. And they just, if you look at the serial numbers of many, many, many of the 16013s, 16014s, they produced them by the thousands in 1987. was a massive year, a massive year of production. Because I reckon I reckon probably, God, blimey, I don't know, three out of every 10 Datejust that I pick up from certain models were made in 87. There was a, a lot of production going on and a lot of worldwide sales. That's crazy. And so they, they, they were selling better than the, the sports watches then? Yes, very much so. I think they are, from my memory at least, because ultimately the sports watches back then were seen as being a bit cumbersome. Right. Um, the slimmer watches were very much in fashion. Um, sort of dress style watches were very much in fashion in the 80s, particularly the biometals, the steel and golds. Um, still wasn't so fashionable in, in, in the 80s, really. If you was wearing steel, it was probably because you couldn't afford to wear steel and gold. Right. So steel and gold was very much in vogue. And, yeah, it was just a very, very popular watch. You know, Miami Vice, um, you know, the Don Johnsons. You, you might <laughs> yeah. be old enough to remember these guys, you know. <laughs> yeah. it, it, I call it the Miami Vice watch to, to some degree. because is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, so many of, of, of the sort of um, – the people sort of in that sort of part of the world were all wearing Datejust, Bimel Datejust. So, yeah, definitely the 80s was a big time for the Datejust. And it's interesting because it, it seems like um, the Bimel stuff is coming back. Um, or, or certainly, uh, whether it is, I don't know, but certainly brands are pushing towards that. It, even more affordable brands like um, Oris are doing Bimetal. Rax has just come out with the, um, yeah. the Sea Dweller, the Two Tone Sea Dweller. And, um, yeah, Tudor have all of their biometal, their, their steel and gold. So it's, it's there's obviously a, a push for it now. I just think it'd be interesting if, if we ever broke away from this kind of sports trend um, and something else took the limelight because uh, there, there must be a time when this whole Rolex thing just explodes and people get pissed off with it. 
Um, and it'd be interesting. Well, it's always a circle of life. And it is, uh, my, my philosophy is it's always a circle of life of everything. I mean, God, Christ, I was wearing flared trousers once, you know. <laughs> so, well, this is it. You know, I mean, who would dream of wearing flared trousers these days? Yeah, so, sure, you know, exactly. at the end of the day, these things happen, you know, and, and, and still and gold, I think you're right, is making a bit of a comeback. I think yellow gold is making a comeback. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of five years ago, it was all white metal, white gold. Then it was pink gold. Um, and, and, you know, I think pink gold has maybe just dropped back a little bit and yellow gold has, has come forward a little bit more. So, you know, for my tips and, and, and bits and pieces that I offer people that watch my channel, um, I've got some good little tips from um, now and in the future what they what will be good watches to invest in maybe. Well, let's, um, let's, you know, let's talk about your channel. What, what, what is the plan for your channel? Because you've, you've kind of made quite a big comeback um, and, mm. and you're, you're uploading new content and um, re-uploading the old stuff. So, so what, yep. what's your plan? Well, the plan is, first of all, I thought about making this comeback. I made a couple of videos and I thought, let's just see what the response is. And honestly, mate, I was humbled by the response. I was almost embarrassed by some of the things people were saying. And I said to my wife, Do you know what? These guys deserve another shot with me and I deserve another shot with them. I'm going to give this a try. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, Joe, why did I delete all those goddamn videos that I had up before? I, I didn't just put them on private. I just deleted them. Right. And I thought, I wonder. And I went and got one of my old Macs and I fired it up. And sure enough, everything pretty much I needed was on there. So I've basically spent the last sort of 10 days, night and day really, just re-editing them, looking at my own ugly mug and listening to my voice, you know, waffling on all, you know, for hours on end, re-editing and uploading the old videos. So I'm trying to get all the old stuff up. That's pretty much complete now. And now I can concentrate on the new content, um, which is, I hope, going to be even more interesting because, as I say, the shackles are off now. Yeah. Um, I've got nothing to lose in the respect that, you know, look, guys, if there's anyone out there that wants to come and rob me, well, bring some spare change with you because I don't keep anything <laughs> at home, you know. Um, and that's that. I, I feel much safer now. Yeah, good man. Let's have a chat about your... Um... I mean, you don't you might not want to disclose your full collection, but let's have a chat about your collection. What, what, what have you got in it? Well, not a lot these days because, as I said, you know, I, I hasten to add again is that, look, I'm a businessman. Now, if someone offers me a profit on my shoes when I'm in the street, they can take them and I walk home in my bare feet. I don't really mind as long as I've made a profit. So I, I regrettably, regrettably, Adrian, I've sold virtually everything. I do have... Um, a deep sea seed well, I won two treble six the, the second series. I love that watch, I've always liked that watch. Um, and I have my Black Bay, and um, I also have a, det a Daytona that I keep in the safety deposit box. Those are my watches that I've kept. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not even a collection, it's it's pretty much you know, a lot of, a lot of guys out there have got a hell of a lot more than that than me. When I think back at the many thousands of watches I've sold. That's a and, different and, story. And any regrets but, that, um, that you... Yeah. Um, I, I guess for you, there's probably two regrets. One of, um, um, no doubt, you were selling watches at, at crazy prices, crazy low prices back then, and that, that you could have been yeah. making a killing now. Yeah. But were, were there any watches that, that really yeah. you kind of had an emotional connection with, maybe, that, that you regret selling? Um, 
No, there's, there's. I have a pocket watch that is not even gold. It's it's a gold plated pocket watch that my great grandfather gave to my grandfather, um, who was a First World War veteran uh, and hero, and he gave that to my father. And now that's mine. That's not for sale for any price. It's not worth anything at all. But the, the, that's that stays in my safety deposit yeah. box, and I'd never part with that. Um, I suppose. <laughs> You know, being robbed of a forty-seven and a half thousand pound Royal Oak um, Montoya uh, AP—that oh, was a man. bit of a killer blow. <laughs> did did the um, insurance cough up? And for I, that? I think no, mate. I, I've, oh, really? I've never had insurance because I, you become right, insurable. Sure, yeah, 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 okay, I understand that. Yeah, when you when you're in a lot of watch dealers become uninsurable. It's it's cheaper for them to hire a full time bodyguard than it is to try and get yeah. some proper insurance. You know, so that is why that when you go to some some independent stores like and maybe in Manchester they got two full time security guards and no insurance because the, the security guards um, salary would right. be less than the insurance policies. Jeez. But I remember once I'll just tell you this story before we go. I, during the height of the being offered big discounts on on watches, a dealer friend of mine rung me up one day and offered me uh, a Rainbow Daytona double one six five nine eight. It's the Rainbow Daytona, uh, and from memory, from memory, I think the watch back then, and uh, it's, I'm sure someone will pull me up on this. I think the retail was about forty grand or forty five thousand, something like that. And he offered me 15% off this watch. And I went, uh, and I remember putting the phone down and saying to one of my colleagues, what do I want one of those for? Today? Well, I'll leave you to have a look at the prices, but it was a mistake. It was a big mistake. No. You can't win them all, but (laughs) nobody's perfect, mate. Uh. Nobody's perfect. So if anyone's looking for a tip, I might not be the best person to give it to you, but... Because I'm the mug that turned down a Rainbow Daytona with like fifteen yeah, percent off list, um, but um, yeah, you know, who knows with some of this stuff? You you can never be. We're not clairvoyants. We're not psychics. You can only really look at. Uh, my advice to people would, yeah. would be look at history. What does history teach you about the Rolex watch brand? Um, and if you study the history of the Rolex watch brand and trends. That's probably pretty much how it's going to go in the future. And then what's, what's your channel called? It's just Paul Thought Watch Dealer. I mean, it's been like that ever since day one. I'll probably leave it at that. I mean, there are there are services that I'm going to be offering to people, but I don't want to particularly plug them. It's not going to be as a business so much. Is it? Look, I, I'm 58, as I've already said. I'm bored. I'm retired. I've got my motorbikes. I've got my car. I live by the sea. You know, I have a lovely life. I've got four beautiful grandchildren. Amazing. But... I have a lot of time on my hands yeah. and I want, I enjoy, I want to be around the watch industry. I just don't want to be around the danger anymore. So yeah. I'm going to make myself available to people that want advice. Uh, they want to build collections and portfolios. That would be so much fun for me. Um, I'm happy to accompany people to auctions. At the end of the day, I can do all sorts of things that I know is going to make them money. Um, there's 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 no ifs or buts. There's no chances. This isn't the national lottery. When we deal with Rolex watches, you know that if you buy right, when you come out the other end, you're going to have made a profit. It's as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. That's quite cool. I think it's going to be um, uh, a fun hobby and, and, and project for you. Are, are you on Instagram? 
I'm not on Instagram, no. I'll tell you for why, because basically I don't really want to fill my life up with social media. Sure. You know, I think, you know, YouTube will be enough for me. Um, and, um, I, you know, I'm not a dinosaur where IT is concerned. You know, I've been using it since the day it was conceived, really. But, yeah. you know, Instagram, et cetera, notifications coming through every five minutes and this. and this. It's not really for me, I don't think. Cool, cool, cool. But we'll see. We'll see. You never know. Do you go check out Paul Thorpe's YouTube channel? It's simply Paul Thorpe Watch Dealer. Just search that in the in YouTube, Paul Thorpe Watch Dealer. And there'll be a link in the uh, post on barkandjack.com. I hope you guys like this little episode with Paul. I have a couple of people in mind who I'm going to be catching up with and who have already kind of caught up with as well. Uh, this isn't going to be a regular podcast. This is kind of going to be as the interactions happen uh, i guess that the main medium is still going to be youtube and my daily content is still going to be instagram and then kind of the big stuff is all going to be on barkandjack.com i guess the best thing to do is for you to go over to barkandjack.com and subscribe to our wordpress because then you'll get notifications on anything that we do do subscribe to this podcast however you're getting your podcast it's not going to be everywhere right now but it's certainly on soundcloud and certainly on itunes thanks so much for listening and i will catch you guys next time take care The music track is called Takeaway and it is by Chameleon Glade.